Welcome to the Imbalance podcast series, hosted by Brady Technologies, your guide to short-term power markets in Europe and beyond. I'm Fraser McDonald, and I'm joined by Murray Rennie and Chris Regan. Uh, very good day to you, Chris and Murray. Hi, Fraser. Hey, Fraser. Uh, as this is our first recording, why don't you introduce yourselves and how you came to energy trading? Of course, Murray, I'd love you to go first. Thanks, Chris. Um, Fraser, I've been in energy trading for almost 20 years now. I joined a sort of, it was a pre-NITA, so that's 1999 before the decentralization of the GB market. Joined uh, an independent generator in the UK, initially trading 700 megawatts in the GB market, which extended up to two, two and a half thousand megawatts over the course of five or six years as the company expanded. Started off as a shift trader, working as part of a small but 24 hour, 24-7-365 shift trading team before eventually leading that team for a couple of years before moving off to look at more process side of things and longer term contractual stuff before joining Brady in 2017. Thank you, Murray. So, Chris Regan, I also started energy trading at the same time as Murray, 27th of March 2001, when the GB market for energy trading really opened up. Um, I stayed with the trading function rather than moving off, so moved from being a shift trader like Murray to being head of desk gradually, trading out of foreign markets like Ontario um, before the company I was working for, British Energy, which was kind of the largest generator, was bought by EDF. Um, I was lucky enough to do kind of the GB's largest energy transaction when I triangulated the position of British Energy across both EDF Energy and Centrica when that purchase happened in 2009. I was um, head of desk for EDF Energy from 2009 through 2016-17 before I created um, a battery optimization platform and then was lucky enough to join Brady last year. That's great. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Murray. Uh, combined, you guys have 38 years of experience in this industry, which, uh, given how things change so quickly and how much has happened um, over the decades, that's quite significant. And uh, it's quite good to be in a room together with you um, talking about the topics we'll discuss today. So today we're going to cover four topics, all different, but all related to Europe's energy transition. First, we'll talk about using renewable energy to produce alternative fuels. Second, we'll talk about a local flexibility trial. Third, we'll talk about blockchain technology in energy, something that I hear you're quite passionate about, Chris. And lastly, for this episode, a new type of consumer tariff in the GB market. Let's start with a little chemical that's not often at the forefront of the transition away from fossil fuels, but could very much be a part of our future energy mix. In two separate projects, Danish firm Orsted and Scottish firm Enius Energy, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, will harness offshore wind to produce hydrogen via electrolysis. The Orsted project will use 3.6 megawatts of wind power to produce hydrogen for transportation fuel, while the Enius Energy project will use 8.4 megawatts to produce hydrogen to be combined with nitrogen to produce ammonia fuel. So guys, speaking to you beforehand, I, I think you've got quite a lot of thoughts about this, uh, quite detailed as well. So I'd love to hear them. 
I read these two articles and um, I found them quite interesting. I, I mean, fundamentally at the heart of it, they're looking at the difference between what's now known as green hydrogen and blue hydrogen. So green hydrogen is really the, cl the clean creation of hydrogen, generally through electrolysis, as, as Fraser just said, um, but it doesn't have any kind of... Um, byproducts that are kind of carbon intensive like you would if you created hydrogen from a kind of high from a hydrocarbon cracking procedure so um the not the the article um in terms of the wind production really struck me because that's a really really green idea that they're going to harness the creation of hydrogen from when the wind is blowing and use that kind of um, wind power to to harness the creation of the, of the chemical split now the way that the article was written was very much they were aligning the production rates to the wind production, which is really good in terms of the cost. If it's a kind of behind the wire arrangement where you're not paying for all of your transportation costs, that's the cheapest type of energy. But I wasn't so sure reading this whether producing hydrogen intermittently would be the best use of the of the kind of um, capex investment in the hydrogen production facility so i read this article and all i thought to myself is surely a they should be using grid power at times when the wind's not blowing to essentially supplement the production and maybe market that as a different type of hydrogen or if you really wanted to make sure that the electrons flowing in to your process were definitely green generated then this is an obvious product project for me that you should co-locate a battery. Now, kind of battery technologies for this type of um, event would probably not be the classic lithium ion because they're generally good at the low duration, one or two hours. But I started thinking about large flow batteries or the really interesting stuff that a company called Highview are doing where they're doing long duration batteries through cryogenically freezing air. And I thought if you were to take this process and add an element of storage, it would be a really interesting story. Did you have any thoughts along those lines, Murray? Yeah, when I was, when I was reading it, I focused more on the one around the, the Orkney Isles because I think, I think everybody's aware the Orkney Isles have a sort of unique sort of almost like their own sort of microgrid existing, partly because the cost of transportation from Orkney to the mainland is so high. So in some way, it seemed like a clever way to encourage investment within the, within the Orkney Isles. But again, totally I agree with you on the fact that the wind doesn't always blow. And surely if you want to make 100% blue hydrogen, then you should be looking at an alternative source as well. Definitely. I've, I've worked with the Orkney Isles as well. I was um, involved in a project sponsored by Bayes, um, run by a company called um, Electron, who do kind of blockchain energy trading. And that's a, a kind of managed network up there. And we were looking at flexibility simply because, you know, the Orkneys have got such a high renewables um, penetration, which is great. They do end up with significant times of oversupply. So maybe a great place to produce lots of cheap hydrogen. Thank you, guys. It is a very interesting topic, um, especially the concept of adding battery packs onto the facilities, which sort of adds a level of complexity uh, beyond just managing wind power and obviously a cholesterol facility. Well, we'll see if they're commercially viable projects, and hopefully in the future we can talk about wind, battery, and hydrogen production in um, one story. So let's talk about another trial, uh, this time at the opposite end of the island of Britain from Orkney, uh, down in Cornwall. So Centric has recently closed its Cornwall Local Energy Market Flexibility Trial, uh, closed at the end of 2020. The trial saw about 200 properties kitted out with renewable energy generators and battery storage to participate on a local flexibility platform. 
100 of those properties with battery storage formed a VPP to participate on this market. Um, Sanchika thinks it was quite successful. Um, but guys, I, I just like from a layperson perspective, I'd be quite fascinated if you could explain what was going on in this market. And also from a sort of trader perspective, if you could, if you could talk about any challenges this might face if it went elsewhere in GB. Yeah, I think it's. I think the key when it, when if you look at this article is understanding what they're actually talking about around flexibility. So it's the idea of being able to shift the use of electricity, sort of spread it out across the day to avoid the peaks and troughs that you get in a sort of traditional forecast where you get your early morning pickup and then also your evening pickup. So the idea behind that is introducing some some quite innovative technology, not just your sort of traditional batteries, but the ideas of charging your electric vehicle overnight. Also the idea of some sort of smart hot water tanks, which can react to price signals. We're using solar panels to store energy during the cheaper times of the day and able to, to generate it later on in the day. An interesting part of the world to try this, trial this out in as well. Cornwall obviously being a, a peninsula it's sort of um, surrounded on three sides by the water, so lots of sort of renew renewable energy there. So it is an area where constraints could be could be a problem, and it's definitely something where you can see like, lo the, the DSOs and the TSO looking to manage that system. Interesting around the challenges, reading the article, it sounded like there was some, some problems around the fact that the contracts they had weren't firm, which means they could be turned off at a moment's notice. What does that mean? That, that, that technically has some impact on the incentivization. Why, why are we encouraging people to invest in this if they could just be turned off at a moment's notice and not get the revenue that they've expected? Chris, any thoughts on that? Yeah, so I, I nearly went to see the Cornwall local energy market trials last year. I'd lined up um, a little tour with the people down there in May. And of course, the uh, global pandemic came in and that never happened. I followed this one from the start. Um, really, really interesting piece of work, the way they, they kind of melded everyone together to create this community of flexibility. I think one of one of the problems we always face when people start talking about local energy is... Um, if if you trade energy or you you adjust your energy um, to to interact with the person next to you, um, you still get charged as if that was like a national supply. The benefits of local energy don't actually flow through into the way you bill, um, simply because that's not the way the rules are set up at the moment. So there is some work to do for our regulator and for our system design to make sure that local energy is charged in a local way. But the bit that I found really interesting in this article was the way that some of the, uh, they said some of the um, participants were talking about going off grid. Now, if you wanted to go off grid, um, i.e. you didn't really have your energy supply contract with someone in the main electricity system, but rather you lived on your own private network, that gets a lot more interesting in a flexibility trial because at that point you don't get charged all of your use of system charges um, for your energy um, if you create like a local network and sometimes they're known as private networks. So if we really wanted to see the benefits of the Centrica flexibility trial in Cornwall taking off, I think what they really need to do is turn that little community into a private network. That private network would then only buy its um, 
net energy requirements as a group from the grid and then sell its surplus energy as a group to the grid. But then they would only pay for their use of system as a net rather than the gross of all of their demands. And that would be a really interesting second phase of the trial. I actually had an experience of something like this a while ago when I was working at a company called EDF, where we were supplying a local council um, tower block. Now, what was really interesting is that tower block didn't have individual electrical supplies to each of the flats. It actually had a single electrical supply to the whole of the flats, and then that was disaggregated. So this is one of the occasions where you could actually do peer-to-peer -peer trading because you were inside your own network and you could set your own rules. And at that point, you were able to do some flexibility markets and some kind of comfort as a, as a kind of service products that worked much better than the current rules on the electricity market allows. So I think great work by Centrica down in Cornwall. And if they wanted to move to the next phase, see if you can create some little community networks rather than doing it within the current network setup. The other thing I took from that, Fraser, was actually around the fact that as a TSO, I don't think the, the British TSO is in a position where this is going to be something that we can roll out big scale in the, in, the, in the next two to three years. I think there's enough going on post-Brexit fallout. There's some other stuff, some other market changes coming in that I can't see anything like this being rolled out. So 2025 at the earliest. I know Centrica were looking at something suggesting 2023, but just can't see oh, that yeah. being feasible. So it does sound like it's uh, the way forward and it's a good future for um, local systems and, and so on. Um, well, thank you for that insight, guys. As I say, in South Africa, local is lacquer. And also thank you for the tee up for our next topic, Chris. Um, so speaking of giving power to end consumers, our next topic discussion is a recent development in Japan. Mitsubishi Electric and the Tokyo Institute of Technology have teamed up to build a blockchain energy trading platform specifically for renewable power. The background behind this is between 2012 and 2019, Japan had feed-in tariffs for solar power to incentivize solar power development. When these were phased out, there was obviously a problem in the market where people who wanted to consume solar power didn't necessarily have the access to the market, direct access to the solar producer. They couldn't get those electrons specifically. So the idea behind this platform is to give that access, give people who want to consume the solar power access to the solar producers and vice versa. Now, Chris, I understand that uh, blockchain, and especially blockchain in power trading, is quite a passion of yours. And um, it's quite a, you quite a lot of expertise in it. And in fact, you've written a thesis topic on, on this. So I would very much like to hear your thoughts um, on this project and also the concept of blockchains and power trading in general. Sure, thank you, Fraser. So um, I, I read through this story, and it, it's something very similar was done in the UK with a project called Community, where they were looking at kind of peer-to-peer -peer trading of the, that kind of solar output, but that was done on a, a large housing residence where they could trade intra-flat. That was quite interesting. Um, I was involved in a lot of kind of blockchain peer-to-peer projects and ideas a couple of years ago when it was fashionable and a lot of people came up with this idea that blockchain would solve peer-to-peer -peer trading now what it what none of those people really got around was there is no peer-to-peer -peer market in the electricity um, rules in most of these markets you cannot actually trade with your neighbor you can do some kind of um, exchange of power yes but you still get charged for the transportation of that power from power stations rather than from your neighbor who's got those solar panels 
Now, so for this to really work, you would need lock and stock changes to the way that you pay for transportation costs of power um, in the market rules, which is what Murray was highlighting in, in our last kind of article. Now, this this kind of um, peer-to-peer, I think a lot of companies have gone down the wrong route and they've got it the wrong way around. The, the art of blockchain, blockchain is tokenization. You're taking something like um, a megawatt hour of produced energy and you're turning it into a token. That token represents the ownership of that megawatt hour and then it can be traded. And the thing that's much more interesting about blockchain and the tokenization compared to most systems and a kind of accounting of energy is um, you can track that megawatt hour through from where it was generated to supply. So in many ways, you've got so a, a way of taking a megawatt hour of energy, which is traditionally what, what a trader would call fungible, i.e. it doesn't matter what megawatt hour it is, but it's just something you can balance, and you turn it into something much more tangible as a token. Now, in my thesis, when I did my UCL course, I talked about the tokenization of energy, which is blockchain, but instead of making all those tokens equal, what you can do is you can essentially have what's called like the colored coin. And in, in that, you can have the tokens can have a slightly different property based on their origin. Now, if you took this Japan product and you said, okay, why don't I tokenize power so each of those megawatt hours, units of energy that are out there are tokenized, if you then looked at the origin, whether it was solar from rooftops, solar from a large kind of... Um, wind farm or PV from rooftop, then you could assign that property of where the generation come from into the token. And at that point, you would actually answer the question that was put in the article, how do we make sure that people can specifically buy solar power? And the answer isn't buy it from your neighbor because you can see their solar panel. The answer is tokenize megawatt hours into a ledger where you could dif- you could differentiate between the origin through the colored coins and then you would be able to say i want to buy solar power and the megawatt hours of tokens that you buy would be solar megawatt hours not coal megawatt hours or not um, lng type gas powered megawatt hours so i i found this article is a bit academic and i think they missed the point on the value of tokenization and they tried changing it into a market that doesn't exist Thank you, Chris. That's extremely interesting. Um, so I'd be interested to hear if you think this is something that we'll see in the UK. Do you think something a platform like this will kick off, say, maybe not this year, but maybe in the next few years, we'll see a P2P blockchain trading platform for power uh, or renewable power, that matter, in the GB market? No. I no, think no. that at the moment there's a database run by Alexon, which tracks megawatt hours. That database is is the the kind of ledger of what goes on in UK power, unless there was a lock stock redesign of how those megawatt hours are exchanged. There isn't the functionality to do this properly on system. Um, there's there's some scope for it, but as Murray said, we've got a few things on in the country at the moment, so I think this will be yeah. down the packing order. Cheers, thank you, Chris. So people will. Uh, look at these new P2P blockchain platforms and think, well, why can we have that? And they forget that there's very deeply embedded systems and structures within place currently that take time and effort and cost to replace. And I, I suspect the people who run the GB grid would like to see these systems and these um, tools mature and be used elsewhere successfully for a while before they want to make that investment. 
So rounding up the topics for today, um, let's finish off going back to wind power, but in a much more local sense. Uh, UK energy retailer Octopus Energy has announced a new fan club, quote-unquote, tariff for customers in South Wales and Yorkshire. Octopus purchased two 500 kilowatt turbines in these areas, and if the wind blows above a certain rate, that's 10.8 metres a second for South Wales and 8 metres a second for Yorkshire. Customers on this tariff will receive a 20% discount on their bills. The tariffs are very much being associated with the two turbines, which the company is calling Fan 1 and Fan 2. And this isn't the entirety of Yorkshire, and it's not the entirety of South Wales. It's actually just very, very local areas, very close to these two uh, wind turbines. So guys, I'm intrigued to hear your thoughts on this, um, how you think Octopus is doing this, uh, why you think they're doing this. Do you think this will be rolled out elsewhere? Will we get this in big cities like London? And what other kind of challenges and other thoughts that you have on this? Yeah, I'll start on this one, Fraser. Um, I think it's a great novelty marketing idea that will look great in the national press, that um, will get people excited, that will be able to sort of go out for a drive when we're allowed to go out for a drive again, or for a walk and be able to point and say, that's where I get my electricity from. But that's but that's where my positivity on the on it sort of stops, and I start going, well, is it really cheaper? Is it you know what's the true value? You're asking your customers to pay a membership fee for this, so it's so yes, you yes, there is a chance you'll have a saving, but I don't think the savings are as great as people will actually say. And is this can you stretch this out? How can you stretch this out to somewhere like a major city where there are no wind turbines and there's no, you can't point at where your electricity is coming from. So I think I think it's something that looks good. I think people will be impressed when they read about it. But actually, once you delve into the detail of it, it's it's maybe there's not a lot of substance behind it all. Yeah, I, I agree, Murray. I, I looked at this one and for it, it's a really good story to bring up energy awareness. Um, but the the underlying issue is there is no such thing as a local market yet. So the fact that only people living local to the, to the wind turbines can be in this fan club is, is a gimmick. Um, but however, when, when companies um, have wind turbines, um, proper big ones as well as these little ones, um, the, the way that they hedge the output is they sell the output based on what the kind of average expectation of the wind is. So when it is very windy, um, they have excess power and the price they achieve on that excess power is, is quite poor when they sell it. So if they can find a way of incentivizing a customer to use extra energy when it's windy, it becomes a, a kind of a natural balancing process in, in their books and it actually overall reduces their costs. What that means is that they pass through some of those savings to the customer, which isn't great on this, this hand, but it's just a pity that it's being dressed up as local when I don't think it's local. If anyone from Octopus listens, please, please do phone us up if we've got this wrong. Um, now, if the market design change to allow you to alleviate some of your transportation costs for you leaving, using local power, that would be a fantastic market design. And that would be something with, that would make this an interesting project. But at the moment, as, as Murray said, it's a, it's a little bit of a marketing ploy. And uh, when my 83-year-old mum phones me up and tells me about things she's read in the Daily Mail, like this kind of story, that's when I think to myself, I wonder how real this really is. Thank you, guys.
this does seem more of a marketing strategy than necessarily a strategy for inducing consumers to buy excess wind power at peak wind power production periods. Although it is good to see a company offering uh, the end consumer an opportunity to connect to their environments vis-a-vis if the wind is blowing and to connect to that wind turbine they see built on the hill outside their window. Well, thank you, Chris. Thank you, Murray. Uh, This is a fascinating and complex industry. It's good to see experimentation experimentation happening almost nonstop. That'll do it for our episode today. Uh, I and our listeners really appreciate the insight, guys. You can reach out to Chris at chris.regan, that's R-E-G-A-N at bradyplc.com, and Murray at murray.rennie, that's R-E-N-N-I-E at bradyplc.com, and myself, Fraser McDonald, that's fraser.mcdonald at bradyplc.com. Please follow Brady on LinkedIn for more great insights and content. Happy trading. Happy trading.